0: Most scales pick and choose from among the 12 tones available to them, but there is one scale that uses all the notes. It's called the Chromatic Scale. The Chromatic Scale is the easiest one to remember because you just play every single note in order. White keys? Black keys? The answer is yes. Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. Music, that beautiful arrangement of sounds that bows to no scale or harmonic system. It simply moves us, however we may choose to break it up or define it. Strong Songs is a Patreon-powered podcast, which means that it's supported entirely by listeners like, well, maybe listeners like you. If you dig this show enough to send me a coffee's worth of support each month, that would be awesome. Go to patreon.com slash strong songs to find out more. On this episode, we're traveling back to the 1990s when a new generation of female singer-songwriters were stepping into the spotlight and in some cases, sitting down at the piano. One such songwriter happened to write one of my favorite songs of all time, so let's clear our throats, find our voice, and do this thing. A song can start big, with a huge ensemble crashing down all at once, certainly nothing wrong with a big entrance, the whole band starting all at the same time, but a great song can also start small, just a singer and a single instrument, or even, in some cases, just a small collection of notes. It can be a nebulous thing, three notes in close chromatic proximity, their rhythm somewhat undefined, floating in the air like a small cluster of dandelion spores. Place a foot on the piano's sustain pedal, and those three close notes take on a lingering, haunted resonance. And it can go even smaller from there, just two notes on the piano paired with a descending pattern higher up on the keyboard. It's such a delicate balance, those two tenuous notes suspended against a higher descending scale until finally it expands into some new chords, gradually expanding the range of what seemed possible, drawing us in until it's like we're right there in the room. A great song can start so small with just a couple of notes, a couple of chords, And as the singer invites us in, for the next few minutes we're happy to trade places with them. We're happy to imagine what it's like to be them, to share in their hardships, and to share in their dreams of what might be possible. Before long, a great song can get us asking some big, important questions. What if I weren't myself? What if I didn't have to be tied down by the way things have always been? What if I didn't need to be here? What if I could just leave, just seek out something new? What if everything in my life could be different? What if? What if?
1: What if I'm a mermaid in these jeans of his with her name still on it? But I don't care, cause sometimes I said sometimes I hear my voice and it's been he.
0: I'm so excited to finally talk about the great Tori Amos and her beguiling song, Silent All These Years.
1: So you found a girl who thinks really deep thoughts What's so amazing about really deep thoughts Boy, you best pray that I bleed real soon that for you? My
0: screen this song is so special Amos combined opaque yet specific lyrics with an exceptionally unusual piano arrangement and she turned what could have been a straight ahead three chord power ballad into something delicate and difficult open to interpretation yet possessed of a distinct author's perspective a song unlike any song I've ever heard and one that I'm really looking forward to talking about I don't
1: care cause Said sometimes I hear my voice, and it's been a year. silent all these years go by. Will I still be?
0: really are so few songs that do to me what this song does to me. I hadn't listened to it in a long time before I was going through Tori Amos' recordings looking for the one I wanted to talk about on Strong Songs and the minute I heard it, I mean... It just transports me in this certain way, and I know I'm not alone in that. It's such an incredible song, and I've gained a much deeper appreciation of it as I've taken it apart and really learned how it works while I was making this episode. So, Silent All These Years was a featured song on Tori Amos' 1992 debut, Little Earthquakes. That album marked Amos' debut as a solo artist, but it wasn't actually her first foray into the music industry. She'd already taken a swing with the 1988 debut from her band, Why Can't Tori Read?, But that album hadn't really gone anywhere. After that project failed to break through, she was considering just changing gears and becoming a professional songwriter. She actually wrote the early musical parts of Silent All These Years thinking she might be writing it for another singer, but she wound up working with a number of different producers, including David Sigerson, who produced this track, to put together the songs that would eventually become Little Earthquakes. This album certainly did break through. It put Amos back on the stage where, let's be real, she kinda always belonged.
1: So I ran faster
0: 30 years since then have seen Amos glissandoing and double piano soloing her way across stages around the world. She actually just came here to Portland and I didn't get to see her live. I really wish that I'd bought tickets a little bit earlier, but so it goes. She's a legend now, but before all of that, 1992 and Little Earthquakes. Peaceful. A fantastic album. You can hear a clear through line back to Amos's most obvious influences—singer-songwriters like Kate Bush and Joni Mitchell who, as it happens, actually feature on past and future episodes of Strong Songs, just a little tease there, but Little Earthquakes, really, you can hear the influences, but it's got its own whole energy, just like Tori Amos had her own whole energy, and if you follow her writing as it progressed, especially over the course of the 90s with her subsequent albums, it's really interesting. It's this portrait of an endlessly unsatisfied artist, a woman who is unafraid to throw out what had worked before and try entirely new styles and sounds. But of course, that same questing spirit is present on Little Earthquakes, and you can hear it right from the start of Silent All These Years.
1: Excuse me, but can I be you for a while? My dog won't bite if you sit real still. I got the Antichrist in the kitchen yelling at me again. Yeah, I Been saved again.
0: Silent All These Years is deceptively simple. It's in the key of E, that's a pretty common key. It mostly revolves around the four chords 1, 4, 5, and 6 minor, in this case E, A, B and C sharp minor, those are very common chords. It's mostly just Amos singing and playing piano, she's joined by a string ensemble and a small woodwind section, but it's mostly just her, and there's a single percussion element on this entire recording. But while it's acoustically and instrumentally pretty straightforward, it's musically very complex, and that's apparent right from the downbeat. So those few seconds of music are incredibly disorienting. It always takes me a minute to find my footing with this song. And that's because Amos is purposefully disorienting the listener in just about every way possible right from the start of the song. She's being disorienting rhythmically, harmonically, and lyrically. So let's actually take those in a slightly different order. Let's start with the harmony. She's starting with this piano part. So this is a chromatic pattern that kind of deliberately obfuscates the key that we're in, even though it's surrounding an E. So it's starting on an E, then it goes down to a D sharp, then past E, then up to F. It does that a couple more times, and then it ends on G sharp. So that does end on a G sharp, just an E and a G sharp, a major third in the key of E. But because of that F natural in particular, it's not totally clear what key we're in. Playing a chromatic cluster or a chromatic enclosure like that, that's an odd and discordant sound. Three chromatic tones next to one another, that's going to sound pretty crowded, pretty close. Amos emphasizes that closeness in a kind of a cool way. Listen to her play it and see if you can hear what she's doing with the piano to emphasize that sense of chromatic dissonance. So what she's doing is the difference between this... And this. She's holding down the sustain pedal on the piano, and that makes those three tones ring out. It elongates the sense of tension between them, and it's a nice touch. It adds a lot to the atmosphere of this section, and it's a conscious choice that she's made, and it really enhances the sense of kind of harmonic confusion here at the top. So pretty disorienting harmonically, it's also pretty obviously disorienting rhythmically. The counting here is just a little unusual. This was actually something that I found weirdly challenging until a listener, Trevor, wrote in to explain how he counts it, which was very helpful, so I'll share that with you. The way to count this intro phrase, for reasons I'll explain in a few, is like this. One, two, three, four, one, two, three. As Trevor explained, that's the best way to count it, because that's the same way that she counts the figure on the verse. She stretches it a bit between statements. That pause is a little elongated, so there's a bit of rubato, which can be confusing, but basically there's a two-eighth note pickup, and then you're at your downbeat, so you count it like this. One, two, three, four, one, two, three. One,
1: two, three, four, one, two, three. Excuse one, me, two, but three, can four, I be you for a while? Dog won't bite
0: if you sit real the thing is, between the rubato on the piano intro and the way that she performs that first verse, I think she wants this to be a little bit disorienting. To kind of start out of focus and to slowly focus in until the groove is solidified. I looked around to find some live recordings just to see how she performs the beginning of this song when she plays it live. She actually likes to stretch the time even more when she's on stage than she did in the studio. Excuse
1: me, but can I be you for <laughs> my dog won't bite if you sit real still I got the Antichrist in the kitchen yelling at me
0: again. so there's clearly this intended elasticity inherent in this song that Amos wanted when she wrote it and that ties in with the final way that the beginning of this song disorients the listener it's lyrically disorienting Think about that opening lyric for a second, excuse me, can I be you for a while? It's the first of many times that this song plays with trading and swapping perspectives and pronouns, and this is the first of a couple of times that the narrator and the listener trade places. She's asking if she can be me for a while, and I've actually always heard that lyric to mean the implied opposite, so she's saying, can I be you for a while, but she's also saying. Would you be me for a while? Maybe that's just my interpretation, but it's always felt like an invitation as much as a request, that opening line. She's drawing the listener into the narrator's perspective, even if she's choosing to leave it behind herself, even if just for a little while.
1: Excuse me, but can I be you for a while? My dog won't bite if you sit real still. I got the Antichrist in the kitchen yelling at me again.
0: Yeah, I can hear It's a remarkable way to begin a song. This tense, chromatic piano cluster gives way to a rhythmically amorphous phrase. We're invited to trade places with the narrator right off the bat before we even know what we're getting ourselves into. Then details of the scene around us kind of filter in. Her dog won't bite if we sit real still. She's got the antichrist yelling at her from the kitchen again. It's just a few notes on the piano and just a few images. A dog, someone yelling, the kitchen. But it's exactly enough to paint a vivid picture. So just open your mind's eye and really let yourself go there. You'd be amazed at how quickly this song can draw you in.
1: Excuse me, but can I be you for a while? My dog won't bite if you sit real still. I got the Antichrist in the kitchen yelling at me again yeah I can hear that. been saved.
0: Again by the so the pulse is established when that second phrase hits, but the piano part is pretty interesting. Like I said, the pulse is mainly in the vocals. The piano part is just a little bit more complicated. So in her left hand, let's just start there. She's playing something similar to that chromatic opening figure. Remember she was playing an E and then a D sharp and then an F. So she's removed the F natural, and she's just going back and forth between the E and the D sharp. That's the tonic in the major seven in the key of E, which is an important shift because by removing the F natural, that flat two, she's now totally within the key of E major. So this verse now sounds much more strongly in the key of E major. It sounds a little bit more settled than the intro did. So that's what her left hand is doing. Her right hand begins playing in octaves down an E major scale. Just playing E, D-sharp, C-sharp, B. And those four notes are actually important, so remember those. And to circle back to listener Trevor's take with how to count that intro piano line, you can actually think of this verse piano part as the same rhythmically, just with that descending right hand replacing the F natural. So instead of this, you get this. Thinking of it that way really helps knit the two piano parts together. That's very cool. So thanks again to Trevor for writing in to share that. So there's this curious pulse driving this song. There's a tenuousness to it. The left hand is playing the downbeat, those octaves, in the right hand, they're almost always syncopated. She changes it up sometimes, but they're almost always syncopated. So they're on the upbeats. The vocal melody sits right in between them rhythmically. So I kind of imagine that that vocal melody, that's Tori Amos, and she's balancing on a tightrope. Her left and right hands are held out on either side, and they're kind of providing balance while her voice stays steady right in the middle.
1: Sit real still, I got the So
0: just listen for that pulse that kind of exists in between each of these musical elements. Yeah, I
1: can hear been Boom. saved again Boom. by the garbage truck. Boom. I got Boom. something to say, you know, but nothing comes. Yes, I know what you think of me, you never shut up.
0: It's a great example of careful instrumental arranging. That piano part, it's so specific. It plays such an important emotional and thematic role in the song, in addition to the musical role that it plays. Tori's known as this great pianist, and she is. She's an incredible piano player, if you've ever seen her play live. She's got incredible technical proficiency on the instrument, but she's also just consistently creative in her piano parts. Like, I can imagine a version of this song with a more straightforward piano part. It'd be like... Excuse me but can I be for a while My dog won't bark if I sit real still I got the Antichrist yelling at me from the kitchen again Yeah I can hear you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like that actually sounds kind of cool It's just a lot less specific than if you do what Tori was doing on the piano Excuse me but can I be for a while dog won't bark if you sit real still. I got the Antichrist yelling at me from the kitchen again. Yeah, I can hear you. Now obviously if I was really going to perform this, I'd probably do it at a different key so I'm not down in my basement because Tori's in a different part of her register and that lets the whole thing sound higher up in the air, which contributes to that sense of it as this musical balancing act.
1: Excuse me, but can I be you for a while?
0: My dog
1: won't bite if you sit real still. I got the empty Christ in the kitchen yelling at me again. Yeah, I can hear been saved again by the garbage truck. I got some One
0: more thing that I love about her piano part here in the verse is how she voices the four chord, that A major chord when she finally arrives there.
1: I got the empty Christ in the kitchen yelling right here. at me again.
0: So again, she's doing something specific here. A regular A major chord would sound like this. But what Tori plays sounds like this. That's a beautiful sound. It's a common one in pop music. It's what's known as a sus-2 chord. That's where you play a major chord, but instead of the major third, you play the second. So you get root, two, five, and one. There's no third. It's a more open sound, and it's a great choice to put right here. It keeps things feeling a little bit more open and a little bit less grounded.
1: So still? I got the Antichrist in the kitchen. Listen for it. Me again. Yeah, I can hear. That. Been saved again by the garbage truck. I got something to say, you know, but nothing comes. Yes, I know.
0: So while we're getting super granular, I want to point out this tiny vocal production trick that they do here, and they repeat it at this point in the next two verses as well. I'm assuming this is producer David Sigerson doing this. He adds just a little bit of delay on Tori's voice just for the words, Nothing comes.
1: I got something to say, you know, but nothing comes. Yes,
0: I know. It's subtle, but you can hear it softly bounce out to the right channel, and it kind of just goes to the left and the right. It's really on the nuh of nothing comes. It's this nuh, just really, really subtle. Listen for it.
1: Something to say, you know, but nothing comes, yes, I
0: it's one of those things that your brain might hear even if you don't register it, and it happens on a crucial lyric. I mean, they're all crucial. The song has incredible lyrics, but this is crucial because the narrator is identifying for the first time her silence, which is what the song is about. She's got something to say, but nothing comes. And when she says that, that nothingness echoes out into an empty space. I
1: got, I got something to say, you know, but nothing comes. Yes, I know what you think of me. You never should have.
0: Meanwhile you the person she's addressing will you never shut up. It's all so vague and vivid at the same time and that's a trick that this song repeatedly pulls off. I
1: got something to say, you know, but nothing comes. Yes, I know what you think of me, you
0: never shut up. It's a subtle delicate production choice, but it's very much a choice and given the delicacy of the song overall, little delicate choices make sense. So each of those little choices adds up, and together they create such a distinct mood for this song in just a matter of seconds. So let's listen back to the whole opening verse, and I want you to really open up your ears and hear all of that, to see it if you can, in your mind's eye. The hazy, chromatic opening piano line giving way to that opening lyric which calls you to trade places with the narrator as the rhythm slowly comes into focus, left hand repeating two notes the syncopated right hand repeating a descending line, and in the middle, Tori Amos's voice balancing and occasionally echoing out as the world around her comes into focus. Yours on, let's listen.
1: Excuse me, but can I be you for a while? Dog won't bite if you sit real still I got the Antichrist in the kitchen yelling at me again Yeah, I can hear Been saved again by the garbage truck I got something to say, you know But nothing comes Yes, I know what you think of me You never shut up
0: And with all that established, yeah, it's time for the hear. chorus but what if
1: I'm a mermaid in these... Jeans of his with her name still on it But I don't care Cause sometimes I said Sometimes I hear my voice And it's been He
0: What if I'm a mermaid in these jeans of his with her name still on them, but I don't care because sometimes I said sometimes I hear my voice and it's been here silent all these years. There's so much beautiful contradiction in that. That's such a gorgeous chorus. And again, it's that vague yet vivid thing that this song does so well. It's this mix of the haziness of memory, the blurriness of fantasy, identities and possibilities swim in and out of focus. What if I'm a mermaid? There's this sadness of these genes of his with her name still on them, the double use of here as she hears her voice and it's been here silent all these years. I mean, what a chorus.
1: Sometimes I said sometimes I hear my voice and it's been here
0: Just musically speaking, the chorus is more straightforward than the verse, though it's still the result of a lot of conscious choices and some pretty cool arranging. So for the first part here, the chords are just going between A and B, the four chord and the five, those are two familiar chords they've already featured in the song, and the melody really just hangs out on a B what if i'm a mermaid right there on b it kind of moves up a little bit later but there's a kind of a static quality to this whole thing at least insofar as what tori is doing on the piano and in her singing
1: what if i'm a mermaid in these jeans of his with her name still on it but i don't care because sometimes i said sometimes i hear my voice and it-
0: So while the piano and the voice are mostly staying put, there's a real sense of motion to this chorus. It feels very different from the verse, and that's all due to the string arrangement. It's a remarkable emotional transformation that happens just because of the addition of this one new sound. The balancing act of the verse, you know, the piano and the vocals, it's like suddenly the song sprouts wings and floats up from the high wire and into the air. We go from this been
1: saved to cam by the garbage truck. I got something to say, you know, but nothing comes
0: yes. To this.
1: What if I mermaid in these jeans of his with her name still on it, But I don't care, cause sometimes I
0: So for starters, the pulse has changed because the song has introduced its only percussive element. Not a lot of thump pop and sizzle in this song. What I initially thought was a finger symbol then second guessed myself and had down as a triangle, but it turns out it's indeed a finger symbol according to the liner notes, struck on 2 and 4 throughout the chorus over on the left. That's a nice new element that makes a surprising difference. Again, the power of small percussion toys like triangles and finger cymbals that can really change the vibe of a recording, and that happens here. But the strings are the main event, and the string arrangement by Nick DeCaro is a perfect example of something that I talk about a lot on this show, the idea of contrary motion, where two parts in an arrangement move in different directions, which can be a beautiful technique when used properly. So the strings are basically broken in two. There's the higher violins, which are panned to the left, and the lower cellos, which are panned to the right. I'm not sure how many string players actually played on this recording, but they're basically split into two sections. Both parts begin on an E, and then they move in opposite directions along an E major scale. On the left, the violins climb upward from E, they climb all the way up until finally they end on a D sharp, almost an octave above where they started. And then over on the right, the cellos move downward, lingering on a few choice chord tones as they eventually reach a lower F sharp, which is almost an octave in the opposite direction from where they started. So if you put those both together, you can hear the contrary motion could not be clearer. I mean, they're moving in opposite directions and the timing is kind of a ping pong where they're trading downbeats. So first the violins go, then the cellos, then the violins and the cellos. So you can really differentiate the two lines from one another. So now listen to the recording and Keep your ears out for those two parts Specifically the violins on the left and the cellos on the right And I'll play along with both lines on the piano Just quietly to help you hear them in the mix Here we go
1: What if I'm a In these jeans of his With her name still on it But I don't care Cause sometimes I said Sometimes I hear my voice And it's been He
0: The final part of the chorus is a culmination, the harmony shifts to a new chord, it goes to C sharp minor, and then to D, as Tori sings here, she holds it out, it's this beautiful long tone, as the strings do that lovely swell. And then as she sings the name of the song, the arrangement comes all the way back down to just Tori and her piano, and in her right hand, she echoes the notes of the melody
1: silent all these
0: years. Those four notes she plays, the melody underlying silent all these years, it's those same four notes from the verse. A D sharp, an E, a C sharp, and a B in a slightly different order, but she plays those same notes if you remember descending in the right hand as she sings the verse. It's this sort of musical anchor point that guides the verse and concludes the chorus. Ye- So let's listen through that first chorus again in its entirety and just keep an ear out for each of those things that we just talked about the new pulse with the finger symbol over on the left the melody staying relatively still at first on that b before eventually moving up the violins and the cellos moving in opposite directions ping-ponging their rhythms so you can really hear each one shift the move to the new chord the c-sharp minor as tori sings that her voice has been here and as she sings silent all these years the return of those four notes from the beginning of the song transitioning us to the second verse where things immediately come back to earth what wings we sprouted during the chorus fold away and gravity returns to test our balance again yeah, here we go it, but what if
1: I'm a in these jeans of his with her name still on it but I don't care cause sometimes I said sometimes I hear my voice and it's been healed about really deep thoughts boy you best pray that I bleed real soon how's that
0: So there's a verse lyric for you. There's this strong contrast going on in this song between the verses and the choruses, not just musically, but also thematically. For all their abstraction, it's never quite clear who you and I are. They kind of shift from refrain to refrain, but the verses are pretty grounded in this kind of sad, hard reality. In that first verse, there's the Antichrist yelling at you from the kitchen, the dog who won't bite, you're saved again by the garbage truck. It kind of puts you in this house, in this place place
1: been saved again. By the garbage so
0: then the chorus departs from that into the realm of fantasy. What if I'm a mermaid? Suddenly it's this what if question instead of just statements of fact. So Amos has said this song was in part inspired by the Little Mermaid, which seems pretty clear, right? That's the story of a mermaid who loses her voice, and the Disney adaptation had just come out a few years before Little Earthquakes. So when she sings that line on the chorus, we leave reality behind, and that's also where the narrator finds her voice and realizes that it's been here this whole time. What if
1: i in these jeans of his with her name still
0: on? So, the second verse has a job to do. It has to reassert the verse's more grounded reality after the chorus's flight of fantasy. And Amos does that with one of her most famous lyrics, almost self mockingly asking the question what's so amazing about really deep thoughts?
1: So, you found a girl who thinks really deep thoughts. What's so amazing about really deep thoughts? Boy, you best pray that I bleed real soon. How's that thought for you? My
0: screen... It's such a bracing lyrical trick. At this moment, the you she's addressing is a man who's apparently been waxing rhapsodic over this new woman he's met, or I guess it's possible that the woman he's talking about is also the narrator. And the gut punch at the end of the line, boy you best pray that I bleed real soon, it brings things back to reality with a startling frankness. It's this brilliant way of puncturing all the lovely imagery of the chorus and bringing us back to earth, reminding us that in truth, we are a long way from a world of singing mermaids.
1: Boy, you best pray that I bleed real soon. How's that thought for you? My scream got lost in a paper cup. think there's a heaven where some screams have gone. I got 25 bucks and a crack think it's enough?
0: It's a couple of nice things on the second half of the second verse. First of all, they do that delay trick again when she sings, Do you think there's a heaven where the screams have gone? When she sings the word scream, you can hear it very subtly bounce outward, which really underlines the imagery of the lyrics As the word scream. It literally travels outward away from its point of origin, maybe to a heaven for screams.
1: think there's a heaven where some screams have gone? I got 25 bucks and a do you think it's enough?
0: There's also this lovely woodwind accompaniment. I'm always a fan of some nice woodwind accompaniment. These clarinets come in in harmony with one another. They move apart, then they move back together. It's a great little line, and remember it because it'll return later that'll be a little bit different.
1: I think there's a heaven where some screams have gone. I got 25 bucks and a cracker. Do you Think it's enough. Get us
0: there, what if i After a somewhat more elaborate second verse, the song returns to the same format for the second chorus. It's a straightforward restatement, and as the narrator dreams of what she might be, her imaginings go outward, and as she takes us into the bridge, she sees her entire life flash before her eyes.
1: Silent all these years go by, will still be waiting. Somebody else to understand Years go by from strip to my beauty, and the orange Raining in my head. Years go by. This
0: bridge lands like a ton of bricks. It's this sudden huge shift in almost everything about the song. In particular, the vocal arrangement and the lyrical content make a really dramatic change here. So as I've been mentioning, this song is constantly playing with perspective and voice, who's speaking, who's being spoken to, just constantly shifting and changing. It also has a few tense, or even temporal shifts. It goes from straightforward present tense in some of the verses, I got 25 bucks and a cracker, do you think that's enough? Then it gets conditional, what if I'm a mermaid? And here on the bridge, it kind of flashes forward through time. The narrator stays in the conditional and begins imagining her life of silence playing out. If I'm stripped of my beauty, will I choke on my tears till there's nothing left, but the narrative voice actually splits in two, which matches when all these backup vocals come in for the first time in the song. The other voice is more of a framing device, like a chorus just singing three words over and over, years go by.
1: Years go by, will I still be waiting for somebody else?
0: an almost cinematic device. You can see it evoking this dramatic flash forward, setting the narrator's questions amid the unstoppable sweep of time.
1: One more casualty, you know.
0: And that's the thing to listen for in this bridge, that split perspective between the narrator questioning what her life might become and the chorus, almost the stage direction, setting the questions amid the flow of time as years go by. If you listen to those backup harmonies, they really emphasize that. For the first three phrases, they sing years go by in these very long phrases, leaving space for Amos' lead vocals to keep moving through a bunch more lyrics.
1: Years go by, will still be Somebody else to understand Years go by
0: strip to my It's some fantastic vocal arranging. I love this sort of thing. It's kind of an offset echo. They sing years go by a lot slower than the lead vocal. Then they'll sing still be waiting as an echo after Tori's lead sings it. Then for the lyrics at the end of the phrase to understand they come back together ready to sing years go by again together at the start of the next phrase. Silent so it goes like
1: years go by be for somebody else to understand
0: Then they change it up on the next phrase they sing the years go by part the same but the phrasing is just a little bit different on the next part of the phrase
1: Years go by from strip to my beauty and the orange clouds raining.
0: I love how they break out of the lyrics there for a second, ha, oh, and just sing vocalize. Very musical theater, really effective, I think. Then on the third phrase, they change it yet again. They stretch out years go by. It's much longer than the first two phrases.
1: Years go by.
0: And then on the fourth and final phrase, the backup vocals fully come together with the lead vocals to make a combined final statement one more casualty, you know we're too easy.
1: One more casualty, you know we're too easy.
0: When you really get under the hood, it's such a well put together vocal arrangement. The song has already been doing so much with perspective shifts despite the fact that Tori's been singing totally by herself up until the bridge. So when the bridge arrives and the backup vocals step on stage, it makes sense that she'd do so much with them and just be so creative with the arrangement. It's almost a moment of musical theatre here in the middle of the song and, I mean, it's just devastating. So we want you to listen to that bridge one more time, and really open up your ears. Focus on that vocal arrangement out to the sides, and how the backup vocals are shifting into and out of alignment with the lead vocals, creating this dreamlike chorus that's emphasizing some lines, leaving space for others, and finally coming together to join the lead vocals for that final statement before an abrupt, dramatic shift back to the final verse.
1: Somebody else to understand. Years go by from stripped of my beauty and the orange clouds raining in my head. Years go by while I choke on Let's hear what you think of me now But baby, don't look up
0: So this final verse is a crucial shift at least in how this song feels to me. For starters, there's this dramatic dynamic shift from the chorus into the final verse. It's like a brightly lit panorama on the bridge snapping down to a single spotlight in the center of a darkened stage.
1: Well, I
0: love Your eyes
1: focus on my funny shape
0: There's also a shift in the lyrics here, and this is really just my interpretation, but to me, this third verse has always felt emotionally very different from the first two, and a much more hopeful ending to this song. It feels to me like she's talking to someone new here. This isn't the person who would never shut up about what they thought of her, not the guy who was so infatuated with some girl who thinks deep thoughts. This is someone new. I love the way we communicate. Your eyes focus on my funny lip shape. That's intimate and trusting. It's a far cry from, yes, I know what you think of me. You never shut up.
1: I love the way we communicate. Your eyes focus on my funny lip shape. Let's hear what you think of me now. But baby, don't look up. The sky is falling. Your mother shows up nasty dress, you it's your turn now to stand where I stand. Everybody looking at you,
0: you take hold of
1: my hand,
0: yeah, I can hear them. You know what I mean? There's just something different about this verse. There's a feeling of solidarity that wasn't present before. Your mother shows up in a nasty dress and it's your turn now to stand where I stand. She's switching people around again. She's trading places between you and me. But it just feels like there's a little bit more intimacy and solidarity now, like the you that she's addressing is someone that she wants to help. Or maybe someone who can help her. Someone that it seems like she's been waiting for for a long time. Here, she says, take hold of my hand. Your
1: mother shows up in a nasty dress, and it's your turn now to stand where I stand. Everybody looking at you, you take hold of my hand.
0: more lifted, a little bit more gentle, still abstract in the way that all of this song is. It's still that vague yet vivid thing, but it's got a distinctly different energy. And I do want to stress again that this is my own kind of vague emotion level interpretation of this verse and of this song. There are a lot of other ways to read it. After I initially published this episode, I actually heard from a few people who shared another interpretation that the you she's addressing in this verse isn't a new person at all, but the same judgmental, difficult you from the opening verses that difference here is the passage of time. And in that time, their relationship has changed. She's now able to put you in her place and offer the comfort that she was never given. I think that's a beautiful read too. Vivid yet vague. It's a powerful way to write. That new energy is underlined by the arrangement. The strings have a few really nice parts here for the first time on the verse. They start with this low E swell that they come in on when she sings, Let's Hear What You Think of Me Now.
1: Let's hear what you think of me now, but baby, don't look up. The sky
0: on the second half of this third verse, the clarinets reprise their harmonized part from the second verse, but both parts are taken up the octave, which gives it significantly more air and makes it really just a beautiful-sounding part.
1: The sky is falling Your mother shows up in a nasty dress And
0: as she asks you to take hold of her hand, this beautiful high violin note completes the connection.
1: you take hold of my hand yeah I can hear them, but what if
0: And so the final chorus begins small at first but steadily growing And growing
1: sometimes I said sometimes I hear my voice And
0: growing I hear
1: my voice, I heal my voice and it spins.
0: The ending of this song is so good. I'm torn between wanting to call out some of the things that make it so good, some of the things Tori's doing that I think are really incredible, and just letting it speak for itself because it really does kind of speak for itself. It's a remarkable ending, though. Like I said, that final chorus—it does this steady build. It starts very quiet, then the strings gradually layer in. The dynamics increase, and it gets louder and louder until, at the very end, the backup vocals return for one final line—the only time that they heard, not during the bridge, a whole bunch of versions of Toriyama sing the title of the song, Silent All These Years.
1: Silent All These
0: Years I mean, the power of that moment, ahead of that backup vocal entrance, she repeats this phrase over and over, I hear my voice, I hear my voice, I hear my voice, and then that literally happens, she hears her voice as all these versions of herself sing together.
1: heal my voice. I heal my voice and it's been
0: And there, one final transposition for this last line, Amos finally centers herself in the song. Up until now, she's been singing about her voice, it's been here, silent all these years. And here at the end, she performs one more swap, and instead of singing that her voice has been here, she sings, I've been here, silent all these years. all these little things that i want to talk about with that ending the delicate way the song lands back on e like a ballerina her repetition of the song's title almost like she's warding off this silence that still might come for her the out of nowhere g major chord that she hits right before the ending this unexpected choice that fits perfectly the way she tends to end the song with not one not two but three e major chords gently but firmly placed one after another an ending and an ending. And then, a final ending. This beautiful song, a celebration of a voice found after years of silence, and the blooming of a voice that would sing and speak to so many millions around the world. But I think you can hear all of that already. It's all right there. You only have to listen. So it's probably best if I just let Tori take it from here. She hears her voice, and now, so do we.
1: Sometimes I I heal my voice, I heal my voice, and it's been...
0: I'll do it for my breakdown of Tori Amos's Silent All These Years. It was a real joy to rediscover this song over the past few weeks as I worked on this episode and more broadly just to rediscover Little Earthquakes which is an incredible album I hope that you go listen to it after listening to this episode. Thanks so much to everyone who's been listening along with Strong Songs this year, and an extra special thanks to all of my patrons over on Patreon. I love making the show for all of you, and it means a lot to me that I'm supported by listeners, fully supported by listeners, no need for ads or anything like that. If you want to help that remain the case, that would be great. Go to patreon.com slash strong songs to find out how to become a patron. You can also make a one-time donation using the PayPal link in the show notes. And hey, speaking of Patreon, I've been doing little bonus mini-sodes for folks over there, and a special bonus podcast for and as it happens the one I'm doing this month is going to be about a super widely requested song by one of Amos's piano predecessors Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill. Of course I did a full episode on Kate Bush last year about her song Wuthering Heights but I thought it'd be fun to share some quick thoughts on Running Up That Hill as well since that song has had such a resurgence lately and a bunch of people have requested that I do something about it. So yeah go become a patron if you want to listen to that and a bunch of other bonus stuff. You can also, of course, find links for social media, my newsletter, a store for merch, all kinds of stuff down in the show notes. I'm going to be taking the month of July off from making new episodes of Strong Songs, though I'll be putting some older stuff in the feed that might be new to some of you. I'm looking forward to a break, but I'm also looking forward to making more episodes of the show, and I'll be back before you know it with new episodes in August. This episode's outro soloist is Galen Clark on the keyboard, so stick around for Galen, and I'll be back in August to talk about many more Strong Songs.